0: Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 22. Pretty, pretty, pretty interesting place in Scripture to be. Let me tell you why. I really love this place. Um, and the reason is, is that the Lord seems to give us an insight of what made Paul tick. At least this is what I've gleaned from studying this place in Scripture this week. Last week, we talked about the people that kind of confronted Paul and wanted to kill him, and uh, what was their motive in all of this. But, but this week, we're going to take a look at, at what sets Paul apart. You know, when I read scripture, I try to put myself in the place of the people I'm reading. Like, um, for instance, I realize and recognize Paul was flesh and blood. He was a human being just like us. You and I have every right to, to be like Paul. We can, we can live a life that is exemplary if we so desire. So what I, what I try to find out, what I want to pass along to you this week, is what did Paul do? What made him kind of stand apart? And the reason I love looking at a, at a fellow like Paul is because Paul, just like us, You know, he came from a really rough background. Heck, he did things that you and I probably have never done. He had people killed. He put people in prison just simply because they wanted to love Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so he got them arrested, put in prison, some of them killed. And he was happy to do so. And remember back in Acts chapter 9, when when the Lord came and, and he blinded Paul told him to go into Damascus to stay in a place, in a street called Straight, and he was there. And when Paul was there, the Lord came to Ananias, just this certain Christian believer, and said, Ananias, go go touch Paul, lay hands on him, he'll regain his sight, and everything's going to be fine. And Ananias said, let me paraphrase, but Ananias said, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure that you want to give sight back to this guy Saul? He has persecuted our church. He has killed some people that I love. Maybe, just maybe, Ananias could say, Lord, he killed a relative of mine, someone that I deeply loved. And you want me to give him his sight? We've been thinking it's better to keep him blind like this. And the Lord said to Ananias some words that I find invaluable as I walk through this life called Christianity. The Lord looked at Ananias, and I know you're going to remember the moment I start to tell you. He says, no, 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 no. Go, Ananias. Because this guy Saul is a chosen, do you remember? Chosen instrument of mine. And I look at that and I say, wow, here's this guy, Paul, who did all of these terrible things, and yet God calls Paul a chosen instrument of his. Maybe, maybe, In fact, not maybe, I taught you and I. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we too are chosen instruments of His. Goodness, look at David. David was, for the most part, a scoundrel. David did the most despicable things. David also did some things that maybe (laughs) some of us haven't done. And yet, God called David a man after my own heart. So I think we've got hope. I, I, I Thank you for saying yes. I love that. I, I think we got hope. And when I get to the Bible and I take a look at the life of Jesus Christ, and I try to conform my, my life into Him, it's hard. It is hard. Let's face it. The guy's perfect. And for me, I'm not. Jimmy Campanas was here in the last service, and it was like, you know, at least we can put At least Paul was flesh and blood. You know, you could, you know, you could feel. He, he, he we're like him. But I told Jimmy, I said, you know, but when we used to go and play against the Braves and watch Henry Aaron hit, I used to think, yeah, he's flesh and blood too. But I can't do what He does. That's what I feel. I'm not comparing him with this, but that's what I feel like when I, when I think about trying to conform my life into the, into the image of Jesus Christ. He's so perfect. But when I look at Paul, when I look at David, I see that you and I have hope. And that's kind of what today is all about. Paul, let me give you kind of a background of where we are. In the 22nd chapter, in the 2nd verse... Paul asked to speak to the people that were trying to kill him. And remember I said to you last week, if you were here, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a situation where you've been in a violent mob setting, and there's people around you, and a lot of them, and you seem to be um, in the midst of where is the focal point of a problem. I told you about when I was playing ball in Japan and how I uh, they they rushed the bus and they tried to they broke all the windows and took off all the air uh, they 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 let all the air out of our tires and the bus and they started to rock the bus as if they were going to turn it over and I looked around and I was the only American on that bus and I felt really intimidated and to be in that type of a setting is so so hard to to gather composure. And yet Paul, in the midst of all of this, where they're trying, as we're going to read today, tear him from limb from limb, he stops and wants to speak to them, calling them brethren and fathers. Paul spoke, to the, spoke Hebrew to this mob. The captain heard Paul speak to him in Greek. The captain asked Paul, do you know Greek? And Paul said, yes. And so the captain, hearing what Paul was saying, but not comprehending what Paul was saying, brought him in when the mob broke into this rage against Paul. Look at chapter 22. Look at verses 22 and 23. Paul said in verse 21, "Go." I was sent to the Gentiles. It says in verse 22, they listened to Paul up to this statement. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. And they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air. At that point, the commander in verse 24 decided to protect Paul, took him inside the barracks. Look at verse 24. The commander ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging. In other words, the captain wanted to know what's going on why are these people so enraged at you? What have you done wrong? And so he brings him into the barracks, and he's going to beat Paul. He's going to scourge him with a whip to, to find out what's the truth here. And as in the midst of wanting to do that, Paul tells him, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. As you and I have read, and I'm going to read this, this, this scripture in a minute, but I'm trying to lay some groundwork. As, as you and I have read up to this point, we can see that Paul was extremely misunderstood. I think you'll, you'll grant me that. The Jews thought that Paul had, in chapter 21, verse 29, we, we read, they believed that Paul had desecrated their temple. He defiled their temple, they said, by bringing this guy named Trophimus, who was a Greek, or a Gentile, I should say, into the temple. Paul didn't do that. Where did they get that idea? That idea was flowing around Jerusalem. Everybody thought that Paul defiled the temple. Paul didn't. The captain thought Paul was this Egyptian assassin who had led some 4,000 men out into the wilderness and was trying to kill people. Paul wasn't that man. And yet that was what they thought about Paul. He was misunderstood by almost everybody. And now, not knowing that Paul was a Roman citizen, the soldiers were about to scourge Paul But fortunately for Paul, the law of the land was a Roman citizen could not be beaten unless he was put on trial and unless he was proven guilty and that was part of his sentence. Then he could be beaten, but not without a trial. And nonetheless, throughout all of these accusations against Paul, whether they were true or not, and in his case they were not true, The word spread throughout all of Jerusalem like a wildfire. Look at chapter 21, verse 30. It came to a place in chapter 21 and verse 30 that it finally says all the city was aroused, and the people rushed together, taking hold of Paul, dragging him out of the temple, and they were, it says in verse 31, seeking to kill him. For what reason? He wasn't guilty. I'll tell you what happened. Gossip. Rumors about Paul. None of them true, but that's okay. Why investigate? Let's just kill him. And then it's like like I say, ready, fire, aim. You know, it's that type of thing. They, They didn't know why they were doing what they were doing. And what was Paul's crime? What was his crime? All he did was tell people that they missed the Messiah. That they killed the Messiah. That he was nailed to a cross, but three days later he rose from the dead, just like he promised he would. And and being the Messiah, he wanted to give them, Gentile and Jew alike, eternal life. Forgiveness of sin, salvation. That's all he told them. And for that they wanted to kill him. And I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, not last week, I don't think, but it says in James that our tongue, our tongue is a, a terrible thing. It can, it can cause a a, a a wild fire. It can, it can do things that shouldn't be done. And within a family or within a working situation, within, within your lives and my lives, we need to be careful what we say about people. We need to be careful about what we think we're going to see a little bit more about this next week, but we need to be careful not to start a flame with our fire against people. And so what I want to do, with all due respect to Pastor Wes, is to move us from Bible 101 today into a graduate course. I want to take you into the, the whole idea of maybe being a doctor in theology. And I want to do that by By representing to you Paul. And telling you that you and I are flesh and blood like Paul. And we can take upon him some of the things that he did so well. So as to know that we are in the will of God. With that in mind, read with me please. Acts chapter 22. Let's start with verse 25. And we're going to read through chapter 23 a little ways. We probably won't cover all that ground this week. We will in the weeks to come, or actually next week. But what I want to do is is set the tone so that you see Paul. Concentrate on him. Watch. It says in verse 25, When they stretched Paul out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and said to him, What are you about to do? This man is a Roman. The commander came and said to Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman? And Paul said, Yes. That's verse 27. Look at verse 28. The commander answered said, I acquired my citizenship with a large sum of money. Paul told him, I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to examine him, that means beat him up, they immediately let him go. And the commander also was afraid when he found out that Paul was a Roman because he had put him in chains. And so on the next day, verse 30, On the next day, wishing to know for certain why Paul had been accused by the Jews, he released Paul and ordered the chief priests and all the council to assembly and brought Paul down and set him before them. Let me stop and just make a a, a little edit here in between chapters 22 and 23. Take a look at the attitude of Paul. You'll find no accusations, no trying to to justify himself. He just states the truth. This council that the commander gathered together was not a a called formal meeting by the Sanhedrin. That's who they called together. The council was the Sanhedrin. The religious... um, um, governing body of jerusalem they came together he called them together the captain did the reason he called them together is he wanted to find out what in the world what in the world has this guy done that has caused them to want to kill him and him to beat him so that he could find out what is the truth what has this guy done so wrong watch paul's reaction paul Verse 1 of chapter 23. Looking intently at the council said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest, Ananias, commanded those standing besides Paul to strike him in the mouth. Paul said to him, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love Paul. I love this guy. I love that he did this. But he was wrong. Watch. And do you sit and try me according to the law? And in violation of the law, order me to be struck. A, by- a bystander, verse 4, said to Paul, Do you revile God's high priest?" And look at Paul's reaction, verse 5. Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was a high priest. For it is written, you should not speak evil of a ruler of your people. We're going to talk about that next week. But watch. Perceiving Paul... Perceiving that one part were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, I am a son of Pharisees, and I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Here's why Paul said this. As he said this, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided, because, it says in verse 8, the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Verse 9 tells us there arose a great uproar. And some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began arguing heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And with that, it says in verse 10, a great dissension was developing. The commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Verse 11. On the night immediately following, the Lord stood at Paul's side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Look what takes place in verse 12. And when it was the day, the Jews formed a conspiracy, bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. And they came to the chief priests and the elders and they said, We have bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, that's beyond where we're going to go today. We'll talk about that next week. You won't want to miss it. It's, this is such an interesting place in Scripture. Paul's cousin over here is... Uh, I'm ahead of myself. Uh, Paul's cousin over him saying that, goes to back to the council, and they you'll see what happens it's really exciting but sufficient to this point to find out what is so different and unique about paul there's much to be learned in this this whole scenario take yourself and put yourself in paul's place for a moment if you would what have i done so wrong i mean really what has paul done so wrong all i did was offer you salvation through the Messiah, I'm not making you accept Him. I'm just telling you that He is who He says He is. I'm not forcing you to come to Christ. I'm just giving you an opportunity. God called me to go to the Gentiles. You're so angry that I went to the Gentiles. Am I not to do what God's called me to do? And you want to kill me because the Gentiles have have free access into eternal life just like the Jews? You can learn so much about judging what's going on, about, um, as we're going to learn next week, about going against uh, leadership. There's so much to learn. But sufficient today is to to, to take a look at Paul and see, can we not become like him? And I'm telling you, this is not Bible 101 here. With all due respect, you need to all go to Wes's class. You know there's an upstairs class at, at the eight o'clock hour that Wes has, Bible one oh one. You don't really you shouldn't come here to church unless you go to his class. He's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's interaction. you can interrupt him anytime. He's it's amazing. But this is a class, this time is a study in, and to become mature in our faith. Father would that to take place we need your spirit upon us We need your help and guidance, Father. Would you open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our thoughts that we might behold the most greatest privilege that any person could have, and that is behold wonderful things from your your law, the Bible. Teach us, Father. Move me aside. The, the, The speaker is irrelevant here, Father. Let us see your thoughts. Let us hear from your words so that you might move us to become, if need be, more like this wonderful servant of yours called Paul. We could see what he does that sets him apart. And maybe, just maybe, we can become like this. So bless us, Father, please. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Verses 25 to 30. Pretty simple. The commander, the chief of the soldiers, is alarmed. He's alarmed at how close he had come to scourging Paul, who was a Roman citizen. If he had done that without permission, he could have been scourged himself, and it could have cost him his life. And so the commander immediately ordered the release of Paul. Now, he didn't let him go out on his own. He just took him out of his chains... And he said to Paul, what should we do? Paul says, I'd like to speak to the people who are condemning me. And so thoroughly, verse 30, thoroughly perplexed, the Roman captain decides to bring Paul before the Jewish judges, the Sanhedrin, to find out, what has this guy done that is so wrong? You've got to keep thinking about that. Think about, what has Paul done... That has caused this problem within the community. That has caused this wildfire, if you would, of 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 rumors and innuendos. That he has done whatever it is that he has done, and he is so misjudged by so many. You know, I find that's true in a lot of our lives. So many people are misjudged. We we judge by appearance. We judge by Whatever. I want you to listen to this. Watch what Paul does through all of this so that we might learn a very important life example. And it is this. Number one. Number one. First and foremost, Paul always accepted his circumstances, whether they be good or terrible, as ordained by God. Remember, they were pleading with Paul don't go to Jerusalem. By the Spirit, they said, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be beaten. A guy named Agabus, who is this prophet, comes to him, takes Paul's belt off. He binds his own feet. He binds his hands. He says, whoever owns this belt, if he goes to Jerusalem, is going to be dragged off as well. A, a, a true prophecy. And so commentators said, Paul should have never gone to Jerusalem. They Some have, some have written... terribly incorrectly, that Paul was out of the will of God in Jerusalem. That is so not true. We know it's not true. All you have to do is study Scripture like we did and read verse 11 and you know it's not true. God said, take courage, Paul. He says, I have you here in Jerusalem and you're going to go to Rome and the same thing is going to be, you're going to represent me in Rome too. Paul accepted his circumstances knowing that he was ordained by God to be where he is today, you, if you are not in sin. If you, now, sin, sin kind of checkmates everything. But even if you're in sin, you can, you can find yourself under the will of God just simply by going to, if you're a believer, going to 1 John 1 nine and saying, God, I confess to you my sin. If we confess our sin, his, his purpose is he will be faithful And just to forgive you and me. And to cleanse it not only forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, we'll be right before God. And we will again be in the will of God. And if you're not a believer, if you come here to investigate, you need to ask the Lord to forgive you your sin. To forgive you your sin so that you can become a new creature. Number one, Paul was content in whatever circumstance he found himself. He knew he was ordained by God to be where he is, just as you and I have been ordained to be here this day. This is is God's purpose for you and me this morning. Secondly, regardless of his circumstances, Paul was kind even to his enemies. Paul did not threatened. You read. He did not threaten. He did not seek revenge. He called that guy a whitewashed wall because he had him hit. He didn't like that because he knew that wasn't legal until, until he found out that this was the high priest. He said, oh, okay, no problem. But all he did was kindly address people. As we saw in chapter 22, verse 1, as I read it to you earlier, called them brethren, fathers, those that wanted to rip him limb from limb, wanted to kill him. Thirdly, Paul only exalted the Lord. In his life, Paul never came to his own defense insofar as uh, saying, I've done this and I've done that. These are my credentials. These are what I've achieved. He never did. He said, this is what God called me to do. And God helped me to accomplish whatever I did. He never took credit for himself. Paul knew who he was in Christ Jesus. And he knew it was the Lord who was moving in his life, not himself. So Paul used every bit of his circumstances, whether they were good or whether they were not so good, as an opportunity to proclaim God's saving grace. So those are three, three things. The fourth The fourth, I have not even come close to mastering. I want you to look at the fourth. Look at Romans chapter chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 3. The fourth thing that Paul has as a human being was a a love for for other people that goes beyond anything that I have ever seen, apart from, at least in, in, in my lifestyle today, I mean, you can see it in Jesus Christ. You could see it in Stephen. And you certainly can see it in Paul. Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have, verse 2, great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Now, listen to verse 3. Read it and listen closely. Paul says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, I can understand the first three. The fourth one, I can't get yet. I can't, I cannot. You know how much I love you, folks? I tell you I love you. I love you with all my heart. I've justified in my own mind, I think, that if I had to, I would give my life for his, for you. I, I really think I would do that. That I think I could do. Unlike our father who was in heaven, I do not think for any of you I could give my son's life. I don't think I could do that. Like, could you give Haley Renee for any of us? No. I. It's a it's ridiculous question. It's a ridiculous question. Because the love that you have for her goes beyond it. It's going to show you it's going to demonstrate to you over and over again how much Jesus Christ loves you. She's going to do some things. You're going to say, oh, my God, and yet she, you're going to love, she's got you wrapped around your little... Yeah, it only gets worse, by the way. Don't think it's... Don't think. <laughs> I could not give my son for any of you here in this room. I love my son. Now, I would go. I think I could. I don't know for certain. I just think I could. But I can honestly say from the depth of my soul that I don't think, knowing what I, I believe I know of hell, that I would want to curse myself, that means damn myself into hell, and separate myself from Christ for you. I don't know that I can do that yet. I think it's a worthy thing to try to get to that place. But I, I read that and I think, why does Paul, how, how do you say that? How do you even come to that place in your life? I, I read it sometimes and I think, oh, you know, Paul knew that, that salvation is once and for all and, and, and you couldn't give it away. And so he makes that statement like it's knowing that he couldn't. And I think, wait, that's not Paul's character. That's not, that, he wasn't trying to trick us. He, he said that because he believed it. That's advanced Christianity. That's not Christianity 101, is it, Pastor West? That's, that's going beyond. I don't know if you and I could ever become like that, but it is a worthy goal to try to achieve, I say to you. Now, back to Acts chapter 22 and 23. A tragic theme is running through this amazing story of the church that is being formed. There is churches being formed all over the place. They're popping up all over the place. And the sad reality is there is an opposition against the church, against the gospel, against the messengers who proclaim it, like Stephen, like Peter, like Paul, all of them, you name them. And there is also this opposition against the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Luke is writing here in Acts chapter 22 and 23, there is a rising tide of Jewish antagonism against Christianity. They have rejected and executed their long-awaited and hoped-for Messiah. Israel as a nation rejected those who preached the message of forgiveness and salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. We can read it. It's, It's there on the pages. You cannot refute that that's the truth. And as you and I can see, they desired to kill Any of the messengers that came from God to proclaim Jesus Christ, they wanted to kill. And I ask you again, for what reason? This theme of of going through, for what reason? What did Paul do? What, 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 What was so wrong? He just preached salvation in Christ to everyone who believed, Jew and Gentile alike. And yet they wanted to execute it. They wanted to tear him limb from limb. The commander, who, by the way, we know his name. You can look at chapter 23, verse 26. His name is Claudius uh, Lysias. It's an interesting name. Uh, he he wanted to know for certain why Paul had been accused by the Jews. So he calls together. It's not a, a call. I mean, it's not a meeting that was formally f- uh, on the schedule, so to speak. He calls the highest Jewish court in the land together, the Sanhedrin, to clarify what's going on here. And, as you can see, this meeting did not take place in where they normally met. They normally met on temple grounds. This was off of temple grounds because the Gentiles were there. And also, he set it up so that he could, if need be, take Paul back to the barracks in case... They got upset. Well, did they get upset? Well, you and I read just a little while ago. Look at chapter 23. Look at verse 10. A great dissension was developing. The commander, chapter 23, verse 10, great dissension was developing. The commander was afraid Paul was going to be, look, torn to pieces. I'm telling you, folks, this is, this is a scary place Paul's at. And he ordered the troops to go down, take them away from them by force, and bring them into the barracks. Paul has appeared before the Sanhedrin. You can study scripture. Let me do it for you in this instant. And I've got to hurry. There's only five times that God allowed people to go before the Sanhedrin. Five times that we can read in scripture. The Sanhedrin, as I say to you, was the religious governing body of Israel. And they were called to evaluate these five times the claims of Jesus Christ. First is in Mark chapter 14. We don't need to turn there. It was Jesus Christ himself standing before the Sanhedrin pleading that he is the Messiah. They reject him. The second time is here in the book of Acts, in the fourth chapter. It involved Peter and John. They brought them before the Sanhedrin, and they said to him, you can no more preach in this man's name. Peter says, I don't know what is right before you or before God, but we've got to do what God's called us to do. They reject Jesus Christ. The Sanhedrin did. The third time was in Acts chapter five. It it, it was the arrest of all the apostles. They came before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin rejected Jesus Christ. The fourth time we saw in Acts chapter six was was the trial of Stephen, when they ended up stoning him to death because they didn't like what he said. They dragged him out of the city after he preached to them salvation in Jesus Christ. And they started to stone him to death. And Stephen, while he was being stoned to death, like our Lord, said, Forgive them. Forgive them for what they do. And now we see Paul. Five times the gospel truth was proclaimed to the Sanhedrin. And five times the Sanhedrin rejected it. They rejected the claims of Christ himself. They rejected Peter and John. They rejected the apostles. They rejected Stephen. And they rejected Paul. How much information did they need? I want to show you one of the scariest places I know of in Scripture. Look at Matthew chapter 15. I thought about this last night before I did the message. And it just dawned on me. And I I didn't even think about it while I was studying during the week. It it just came to my mind in, in Matthew chapter 15. And I had trusted that that was the Lord giving me this idea, so I, I followed up and said it now at all three services. If you look at verse 6, Jesus Christ is talking to the people and he's saying, you've got to honor your mom and your dad, you've got to do this, that, and the other. And he says in verse 6, about the middle of the verse is really what is important. He said, thus you, he's talking to the, the religious leaders of, of Israel, the Jewish people, he says, thus you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And then he says, you're hypocrites. Rightly, he said, did did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, these these people are going to honor me with their lips, but their heart is going to be far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. Stop for a moment. Let me just throw this in. It's free. This is why you and I must study the word of God. We cannot hear the philosophy of some pastor. That's why if you go to a church, if you're visiting with us and you go to a church and the pastor gives you a verse and puts his Bible down and starts to talk to you, leave, leave, get up and leave. Or stay and be lost. Because you're going to hear his philosophy of religion. What you want to hear... What you want to hear is what Jesus Christ and God himself has said through the inspiration of those that wrote down what is written in this word. This is why you and I study the Bible as we do here. We do not jump around and just tell you anything we want to say, any philosophical idea of what is religious. We don't have that right. Now, hear and understand. Look at verse 10. No, 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 don't, don't. don't. I, uh, that might, that don't. And after he called, verse 10, he called the multitude, he called them together, and he said, hear and understand. It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles a person, but what proceeds out of the mouth. That defiles the person. The disciples came, and they said to Jesus Christ, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? When he told them, basically up there, you invalidated the word of God because of your traditions. They hated that. And Jesus Christ said in verse 13, Every plant which my father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let, these are three of the saddest words I've ever read in Scripture. He said to to the disciples, let them alone. In other words, leave them alone. Leave them alone. They're blind. That's what he says further on in that verse. Look. In verse 14, they're blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both are going to fall into a pit. That's why we must know what's in here. That's why, like the Bereans, you and I ought to investigate daily the things that we are being taught to see if it's true or not. You cannot take what I'm saying for granted, saying, well, he's, he loves us, so he's not going to take us astray. Yeah, I'm a human being. I could take you astray if I don't stick close to this, the Word of God. And you're to examine what is being said so that you are not being taught by someone who's blind telling you, let's go this way, you know. And we all blindly follow. We're to follow the Word of God. And so Jesus Christ says, let them alone. Folks, that's the saddest words you're ever going to hear. Because five times, to get back to the point of the Sanhedrin, five times they heard the truth from Jesus, from Peter and John, from all the apostles, from Stephen and from Paul. And five times they said, no. No. And in rejecting the claims of Jesus Christ, not only did they condemn themselves, because the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 18, the person who believes in Jesus Christ is not judged. The reason you and I are not judged, if you've come to know Christ as your Savior, is that you and I took our sins, and we gave them to Jesus Christ when He was on the cross. That's what happens when you ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. He takes your sin upon himself when he's on the cross and he dies for your and my sin. And then he raised himself from the dead so as that you and I might have everlasting life. And so we're not judged. He took our sins upon himself. He was judged for our iniquity. So we're not judged, but it goes on to say the person who doesn't believe in him has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's serious business to reject Jesus Christ. And it's serious business as we just seen to reject him over and over again because sooner or later God's going to say, let him go. And the rejection also symbolizes the nation's rejection of their Messiah now, you know, I, I mentioned a little while ago, and let me get through this. I'm sorry. That there's controversy over whether he should have been, Jesus, and Paul should have been in Jerusalem or not. They told him not to go. And there's some commentaries that say that he was outside of the will of God. I say that's hogwash. He was totally in the will of God. And, and verse 11 shows us that he was in the will of God. But... Even though he was in the will of God, it did not stop him from being arrested, did it? Even though he was in the will of God, it did not stop him from having his life threatened by a violent mob. You see, sometimes the circumstances that you and I are in seem to be overwhelmingly bad, and we think we must have done something wrong. We can't be in the will of God. No, you're in the will of God. You're just going through some difficulties. If you're not in sin, and if you are in sin, confess it, as I said earlier, and as you and I keep studying and we see the hand of God in the life of Paul, because look at verse 11. The Lord says to Paul in chapter 23, verse 11, on on that night after Paul had been threatened to be torn to pieces by these people, the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage, Paul. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause, my cause, my cause, says Jesus Christ at Jerusalem, so you must witness also in Rome. Here's the wonder of it all as we close. The wonder of it all is that Paul was under the guidance of God Almighty. The wonder of it all is that so are you and so am I. The same one who moved in Paul's life wants to move in your life, in your life, in your life, in my life today. That's the wonder of it all, that God is moving within our lives. And some of us are living just mundane lives, nothing really out of the ordinary. We're not doing any great things like Paul. And you you mean to say that I'm saying to you that God is moving in your life? You bet He is. God is concerned and interested in every single one of us He wants to lead. He wants to guide you. So many people want great things to happen so that they could see God moving and and they want some great experience, some great explosion in their life when for the most part, within most of our lives here, we're called to live a simple life of faith in Jesus Christ. We're called to simply live by trusting Him for the mundane things, the raising of... a A daughter, is that your granddaughter? Wow, isn't that great? Nothing quite like that, huh? You two are going to find out how much she loved you. When you fall in love with that little girl, you're going to see how much your mother loved you. At least that's what I tell my son. (laughs) We've been called to simply trust in Jesus Christ, to simply walk with him moment by moment. You don't need to be some great theologian. You don't have to be a great this, that, or another. God wants to lead you. He wants to guide and direct you and me daily according to His will. How that happens is to know that your circumstances does not stop God from moving within your life. You've got to see that your circumstances, if you're not in sin, has been ordained by God. You are here for a reason. Secondly, whoever got you in these circumstances, say it was being you to stop being angry with them. Don't take it out on them. Thirdly, if anyone asks you, let them know that it is God who is moving in your life. You don't have any credentials or anything that is of worth. God does it all. And hopefully, someday, we can get to the fourth place that we can love people who don't even love us so much that we would be accursed, separated from Christ for them. I can't do that yet. I can't. I've come to love people. Lord knows I've been hurt. And I've come to love those people. But I want God to get them. I do. I really do. But I'll let Him do as he wishes. Father, we have the privilege of knowing you and understanding that we can become like Paul. We can become chosen instruments of yours. Oh, my gosh. You want to lead and guide us. And some of us will say, well, I'm not doing anything. Uh, Yeah, just love your family. Do a good job at work. Um, Be a kind friend. There's things that we could do. And to see your hand move upon us. Father, thank you for that little baby. Bless her. Thank you for her parents and family. Thank you for everybody here. Thank you for Scotty, my dear friend. Thank you, Father, for the people that you bring here this church. I love everybody so much. I pray you'll bless us all as we go from here. And may we become like Paul. May we become people who are walking according to your will, moment by moment. Thank you, Father, for this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you folks so much. Have yourself a great day. I'll see you next week. Can't wait to see you.